That is right. All right, the book of Joshua, if you all would turn there with me. Thank you for your faithfulness tonight. The book of Joshua. And uh, last week we spent a good bit of time just discussing the setting of the book. What were the circumstances that surrounded the writing of the book of Joshua? And we know that they were on the eastern side of the Jordan River making preparations to uh, cross over and to actually uh, begin to take possession of the land that God had given to them and to their fathers many generations uh, before what he gave to Abram, Abraham, and so forth, and uh, and then moving on with that. And so the, these opening chapters, we've talked a, a good bit about this. And what we said was that the book of the book of Joshua presents this victorious Christian living, and that the land of Canaan represents, if you will, the uh, our sanctification and what we have. What's been made available to us as believers, that we're to put off the old man, that would be life in the wilderness, and we're to put on the new man, which is created in true holiness, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what the emphasis is going to be in possessing this land that God has given to them freely. And uh, and so they were to act upon these things. And so uh, one of the things, you know, holiness, I put here in the notes, holiness is not a, attained by self-effort, but rather it is obtained with Christ. And that's what happens when you get born again. You get this new life on the inside. And, uh, and so that true holiness that we have from Him, that imputed righteousness, right? That God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So on the day that we got saved, an exchange took place. You turned in your filthy rags and you got robes of righteousness, amen, that that belong to the Lord Jesus and now were freely given to us. And they are ours to possess and and to, uh, if you will, to cherish, to care for, to nurture in that sense. And so and so now here we want to talk tonight, we want to look at the structure of the book. And there then there are so many powerful things, as Brother Roger said, so many wonderful things in these chapters that it's hard just to skip over them and say, okay, well, chapters 1 through 5 says this and so forth. So there are some things that we do need to, I just can't, I get the can't help it, it's all right. And I just have to stop every now and then. You know, like if you ever go with me to a museum, I like to read every placard. It drives my wife crazy sometimes. If I go to a Civil War battlefield, I want to stop at every uh, every little cabin. I want to look at every cannon uh, battery that's up there. I want to see all that stuff. Yeah, Mary's shaking her head. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not life in the fast lane, sister. It's supposed to, I'm there to absorb it, all right? To relive it, to think back, man, I'm on this hill and I'm looking down and there are them blue bellies down there and what would we be doing? Amen. You know that's so, right? Oh, y'all get over that, okay? Man, Texans would feel that way. They'd have given me a hearty amen to that. All right? And so, uh, anyway, so the the structure of the book and there's so many... Oh, sorry, Janet. I forgot. You're from Pennsylvania. (laughs) So... uh, Anyway, when looking at the structure of the book, 
There, there are many highlights that are in here. And so this, in this first part, you know, we see them claiming the land. Look at that down there on the bottom of page 20. You know, Joshua gets the charge there in chapter 1. Man, believe the Bible. Do what it says. They send out the spies and they, you know, what are they doing? They're counting the costs there in chapter 2. And there where they meet Rahab and she hides them and she's going to hang out that scarlet uh, thread, if you will, or that scarlet uh, a piece of clothing that's going to go out that window, and, and they've made a they've made an agreement with her. If she would hide them, that uh, then she would be free. She wouldn't she wouldn't be uh, taken in the battle, and her family wouldn't be killed. They'd be spared. And what's interesting is that Rahab actually winds up in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Rahab was a harlot. So it just shows you that if, with God, all things are possible. Amen. And the scripture says in the book of Hebrews that he's able to save them to the what? To the uttermost. So you can go from the guttermost to the uttermost through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so, so here he does this. And then we know that the, jo- the uh, Jordan River is crossed. We said that's a picture of death and so forth. And there's a memorial that's set up. And so they, they set these things up. And where I want you to look at, I want you to come to chapter 5, is where I, I just kind of briefly went through there. But I want you to see something that happened. I, I mentioned last week about they're going to they're gonna enjoy the, the manna is going to stop right on time and the corn is going to be there right on time. And they're, they're, they're not going to be living off the miraculous, but they're going to be foraging on the everyday things that God was going to provide for them. He'd already showed himself strong in that, in that their clothes didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell and their shoes didn't wear out and there was water for them every day and he provided flesh. They had the manna and so forth, whether it was quail or the like. God supplied their need and he took care of them in battle, whether it was the Amalekites or the Amorites, the Moabites. God worked on their behalf and what happened when they crossed the Red Sea was not something that was done in the corner of the world. The inhabitants of the land of Canaan, Rahab testifies that we heard about what happened at the Red Sea. We heard about you crossing over on dry land and what God did. And she said that some of them, their hearts were melted. They were already afraid. And so the Lord in His providence and power was already overshadowing that land in preparation for them to come and take it and, uh, and to claim what was theirs. And so, and so now th- th- there's something interesting that's happened here. And so uh, in, in, look, in chapter, look in chapter 5, look in verse 3. And, uh, and notice what it says. Uh, Look look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did this. Why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Remember, it was that generation. They were already observing these things. But this rite, if you will, of the Abrahamic covenant hadn't been observed. And so there's a whole generation here now that has come up that has not been made a part of that sign of the covenant. And so they're going to go through that and they do that and they're circumcised there. They're still on, the, on, this, on this side and they're in, they're in a place called Gilgal, which I think is interesting because the, the wording there, the word Gilgal means to roll away. 
Roll away what? Roll away the reproach. Roll away, if you will, the influences of Egypt. Now remember, that's what we said about baptism, right? Baptism is a public demonstration of what has privately happened in your heart. I'm buried, you know, with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. What we were saying was that all the things that we used to be and the influences that we were tied to, we buried them, we were buried with them, and now we've been raised to walk in newness of life. And so it is this rolling away, if you will, of that old life and everything that was, that was attached to it. Even for Moses, in the, in the book of Acts, it says that Moses was learned in all the ways of Egypt. And yet that didn't qualify him to lead the nation. He was going to have, there was some of that was going to have to be undone, if you will, and done away with. That's why I said he was 40 years in Pharaoh's house, 40 years on the backside of the desert so that he could lead them for 40 years and bring them to the brink of the Jordan River. And so even though he was learned in all the wisdom of that, that's not what God said was going to make a good leader out of him. He needed to learn some things about God, and he does. And he learns some things about the people that he's leading. And, uh, and so uh, what a difference that was going to make. And so here's a rolling away, all right? And, and so because you think about it, what had they done? Even though they were separated, they were shepherds, they weren't allowed to be really socially to be a part of the fabric of that Egyptian society, yet they had been assimilated in that. There were still beasts and four-footed creatures and things and all that stuff that took place. And remember, there was a mixed multitude that came out with them when they came out. And so that assimilation into that Egyptian culture, it had to be dealt with. And so there was no more looking back to Egypt. No more were they going to be doing that. And so that reproach was being rolled away. And Gilgal is going to be a significant place for them. It's where they're going to camp. But they're going to do a lot of their skirmishes and then come, come back to Gilgal for refreshing and for rest, recuperation, and then set out again and so forth. And you'll see it mentioned uh, throughout, throughout the book of Joshua that they're coming and going from this place. When the army's out there fighting, the other part, they are back there at Gilgal. All right? And so that's, that's kind of where we are. So in chapter 5... They, 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 they go through this rite and so forth, and they stay there. They don't go to war yet. And so now we're coming to chapter 6, where there's, a, there's not just the claiming of the land, but now the actual conquering is going to take place. They're actually going to get down to the business. You know, it's one thing to talk about doing something. It's another thing to do it. And, uh, and, so, and so they were going to have to act now upon the faith, if you will, that they had expressed, the faith... That they, were, that they were believing God and they were following Joshua and so forth and now they were going to have to act upon these things. And it's much like us in our, after the new birth, our sanctification. We have to act upon the things. We, we have to practice what we say that we believe and put into practice being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And, uh, and so here they were going to be doing this. And so look in chapter 6 with me and notice something what, 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 what we're going to see here in these. Because there's some lessons in here that, that we can take from this as they, as they conquer the land. So at the end of chapter 5, there's a unique thing that happens. It's called a Christophany. A Christophany is a pre-Bethlehem visit 
of the Lord Jesus. And he's not here as a baby, but he comes as the captain of the host. You know, and Joshua's out there. They're outside the walls of Jericho. Here's this huge obstacle that's right in their way. It's the very first thing that they're going to have to deal with after they've healing, after the healing from the circumcision and so forth. Now they, they've observed the Passover and, and, and these things were being reinstituted for them. So their fellowship was right and, uh, and so forth. And now there's an obstacle right away in their life. And they're going to have to make a decision about these things. And I think maybe Joshua might have been out there talking about, man, Lord, them walls look big or whatever. I'm not trying to give light where the Bible does it, but Joshua was a real person. Yet he was a man of war. He was a fighting man. I imagine he was wondering about what strategy are we going to use out here. And at the end of chapter 5, look in verse 13. It says, I'm in chapter 5, verse 13. It came to pass... When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He didn't know who he was. He went in like, Man, our, our, uh, our, you know, our, our, our man, let, let me get my sword or whatever, and I'll come back and fight you, you know? And, uh, and so the Lord says, and he says to him, he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, I, I am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face uh, to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto him, Joshua, loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. It wasn't the first time that I suspect that he heard those words. Take off your shoe, the, the ground you're on is holy. Uh, he met the Lord out there, and that's who that was. As much as Abraham met the Lord when he was sitting in his tent, when the angels came with him, I was about to tell him about you know, Abraham being his friend, and he's going to warn him about what's going to happen down there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and to get Lot out. And, uh, and so he meets him there, and uh, man, he bows before him and so forth. And then in, uh, in chapter 6, we find that there's a battle plan that was given to him, the Lord supplying his need as the leader. Here's the strategy. And, uh, and this really, beloved, this is all going to all be about their faith. It's going to have to do with faith that was going to be in action. What does the scripture say? What does Hebrews 11.1 1 say? You remember about faith? Anybody can quote it? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen, all right? The substance, you know, because surely you would think, man, he'd be, you know, Joshua's out there asking, if Joshua's a fighting man, Graham, he'd be saying like, man, what are we going to use here? I mean, uh, how am I going to put my soldiers together? Are we going to build a few ladders and towers out here? Is that how, are, are you, you know, he didn't know anything about B-52s and bombs and F-4s and all that kind of stuff. What are we going to do? And the Lord says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell everybody to be quiet. And I want you to walk around this place, everybody together. I want the armed men first, then I want the priests with some ram's horns, and then I want the ark, and then I want everybody else that is in that group, I want them behind. And you all are going to march around here, and you're going to be quiet. Nobody's going to say a word. Do you know how hard that would be for all those people to be still, to be quiet in the ranks 
and, uh, and what was the plan? You're going to do this every day for six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to go around there seven times. I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm a man of like passion. I'd probably scratch my head and say, okay, Lord, you know. And, uh, and he said, on that seventh time, when you hear those horns, a long blast on those hordes, hordes, I want you to tell the people to shout, and the walls will come down. And they do. And it's a picture here. Now think about it. They were, it's a picture for, these, for these, these Israelites, if you will. There had to be some temperance that was there. And beloved, one of the keys to our sanctification is learning how to rule your own spirit. What does the book of Proverbs say? Go, go to Proverbs. Keep your place in Joshua 6 there. Go to Proverbs with me. And I believe it's Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. It's the last verse in Proverbs 25. It's in verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. What does that mean? He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. What, sister? Easily taken. What do you think is happening in that city? Their walls are broken down and... Panic. I suspect there'd be some confusion, some chaos... People doing that which was right in their own eyes because their plan hadn't come to fruition or they had no plan. And uh, Brother Ray, what you said last week in, in, in explaining something about what happened to you and you said, I'm, I'm learning, I just had to wait. Having to wait on God. That's a part of this as well. Imagine all those troops every day have to get in formation and, and you think about it, how long have they been walking? Forty years they've been walking around. Forty years of marching, if you will. And now they're going to have to do this for another week? Good grief. I mean, man, I mean, we're, I, I, can, I, I, I just imagine a bunch of GIs, all right? But Joshua was the leader, and he had that ability, and, and God was going to magnify him before the people, and Joshua stilled those people. That's what it says. He stilled them. And for a leader to be able to do that, it's much like what Caleb did, remember? When they came back from spying out the land, ten came back with an evil report, two had the good report, that being Caleb and Joshua, and all this confusion going on. We're like grasshoppers, and man, there's giants over there, and we can't do this. We're going to flee. They're going to kill us. I mean, there, there, I, there was a lot of conversation, I bet, going on. And the Scripture says that Caleb came forward and stilled the people. Something he said, man, that got their attention and they got quiet and listened to him. Well, Joshua here commands them and after, after Joshua has given those orders. And, uh, and, and note, notice what it says. Look, look in, look, go back with me. Go back with me to Joshua chapter 6. And, uh, and look at verse 10. He got them all together. They get, they get in their places. The armed men went before the priests. 
And, and, and now watch. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. There was something there, <coughs> beloved, about, about them exercising some temperance. And we know that temperance, that's, a, that's another thing for self-control and for, if you will, the control of the self-life. And so that is an important part of what happened for us at Calvary. When the Lord Jesus Christ died, it wasn't only sin and Satan that were judged there on the cross, but the life of self, of everyone who is trusting Him as their Savior. So that my... So that my own will, if you will, has been crucified up there with Him. So we can say, not my will, but Thy will, what? Be done. And so uh, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It says, uh, uh, it says about temperance, against such there is no law. It is, that, it is our emotions, our fears, our frustrations, all those things being submitted to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and, and for him to control those things. That's where Thessalonians talks about when Paul said, he, he prayed for them that God would sanctify them wholly, their whole spirit, soul, and body. When the world talks about that, they talk about body, soul, and spirit, don't they? Body, soul, and spirit. That's the order they put it in because that's their preference. But God's is, is that our spirit, so that you and I are not running around anxious, or depressed, or ambivalent. In other words, you don't care, apathetic or whatever. But that rather that our emotions are yielded to the Spirit of God and that He really controls them. And that's what was going to happen, have to happen here. That's one of the things in the book of 1 Thessalonians, one of the things while we're waiting for the Lord to return, one of those things was is that you and I learned to study to be quiet. That's why Philippians says for us what? Not to be, you know, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Murmuring is something that goes on in your heart when it becomes a, a dispute is when you open your mouth and, what, and the contents of your heart comes out. And so here this is a picture of these things that they were going to have to practice. That they were going to have to cooperate with the Lord on this. And that is how our sanctification takes place. It's when we cooperate with the Spirit of God that we can enjoy these things and a power, if you will, to help us overcome. The power of Christ in us is in the person of the Holy Spirit. And He is the one that helps to control your tongue. James said, no man can tame it. I don't think he was talking about a saved man. I think he's talking about a lost man. And so, but our tongues, they can be. And I'm sure, haven't you bit your tongue sometimes? In circumstances and situations? Sure you have. And, uh, and, you know, and you say, well, how did I get through that? Man, somebody else might hear about it. Boy, I couldn't have done that. Well, maybe they couldn't have at the time, but they weren't the one that was in the trial. God gave you grace, and as you yielded, He gave you the strength to do it. And so they were going to have to submit themselves. So they were going to have to be quiet, which is going to require obedience, and then all that walking, Brother Ray, all that marching for six days, that was going to take some patience. Patience. 
And man, I, I, again, I was thinking about you as I was studying this, brother, and your, your own words. You know, man, we want to we act or react right away, and God wants us to be patient. And that is, you know, tell us anything except wait. <laughs> Sometimes we can accept a no better than we could take a wait. But you got to understand something. A delay is not the same thing as a denial. And so they were going to have to go around here six times, and on the seventh time, Man, seven times in that day, and they're going to do all that. And, and I, when I see, look, look at chapter 6, look at verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. What do you think they were doing? They were probably up there. I bet you they weren't quiet. They're probably wondering, man, they, they haven't said a word. We haven't heard a thing. What are they doing? I bet they're tired of marching. They've been walking all these years out there in the wilderness. They're probably used to it by now. They're, you know, or, or, or whatever. The, I mean, but I, I think part of what was happening, the occupants of Jericho, their hearts were being hardened. Even as, because there was no mention of surrender, they didn't send a party out there to find out what are your plans, what, you know, are you giving us, uh, what are the terms here, are you going to fight us, are we supposed to surrender, are you, going to, are you just going to bypass us, what are you doing? There's nothing like that. No one went out and no one came in. And so, uh, and so what, what, what do we know that happened? Well, look in, look in verse 15. We know that the walls came down. And the book of Hebrews says, by faith, those walls straightway came down, all right? Verse 15, it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you this, this city. Now that word shout, I looked it up. You know what that is? That shout is a shout because there's different words that are used for shout. But this shout is a shout of joy. It's the shout of triumph. But the walls hadn't moved yet. The walls hadn't come down yet. But they were shouting, if you will, by faith. You've heard Brother Rogers say sometimes, you know what? You just got to faith it. And that's what they were doing. And they shouted like this shout of joy and triumph. And when they did that, then the walls came down. They believed and God responded. They believed. Isn't that the way that it is? Give and it shall be given. There's repentance. Draw nigh to God and what? He will draw nigh to you. And uh, he's not holding anything back. But he just, you know, somebody said like, well, you know, whose move is it? Most of the time it's our move. It's not God who has withdrawn. Sometimes it's us. And have to make a move back toward God. And so here is what you're seeing in this. And so it was great faith. You know, they were have to be obedient and some temperance and so forth. Some of the lessons that they had to have. And they needed to see the power of their faith. The power of God. Even though He'd done all these things for them over the years, that generation was gone. They had seen them. And now it was going to be something that He did for them personally. And you think about some of the victories you had after you were... Because remember, now they're just getting started. Now I know they, the, uh, you know, because think about this with me. You know, when they put the blood on the lintels and doorpost, that was when they got saved, all right? It, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, all right? And just like for us, beloved, salvation is an event. It's not a process. 
It's an event. Now there might be there, the, the conviction and so forth, just much like in a birth, in a, in a real birth, yes, there's labor pains, all that. That would be the conviction. But when, that, when the baby gets here, when it's birthed, when it comes out, I mean, it's here. That event is over. All right? But now the process of growth takes place. They didn't come out, you know, as a seven-pound little boy or girl, and then two days later they were, you know, six foot tall, five foot two, and eyes of blue. That, that, no. They had to grow. They had to grow. There's a process. And so salvation was an event when that blood was put on the doorposts and lintels. But now this is actually going to be their sanctification. And they're going to move forward with it. And it's a process. And so here, what we're seeing in this, man, having to be obedient. And they they were getting ready to have a victory. Can you remember back to some of the victories that you had after you first got saved? Was there anything about your life that, I mean, a victory when somebody, maybe you were tempted or whatever, there was an obstacle there, a hurdle there, and you trusted the Lord? I, you know, I had a, one of the ladies that got saved there in Bogachita, her name was Pat, and uh, she was a home health nurse, and boy, she was always very good about maintaining her vehicle and stuff. She lived right next door to us, and, and uh, Pat... Uh, she had one of those, when they had come out with those transverse motors, it wasn't very long, and she had needed something reliable, and so she got this new car and put some miles on it, wanted to have that first initial oil change, and so she went to a, uh, it wasn't long after these Jiffy Lubes opened up there in Brookhaven, Mississippi, and she went in there, and that guy, you know, they, they changed her oil, but what they did was they, they didn't actually drain her tra- they didn't actually drain the oil pan. What they did mistakenly was they drained her transmission, and then they poured oil in the tra- in the crankcase for the transmission. And so she didn't get very far. And uh, well, anyway, they they drained the transmission fluid and poured the oil in on top of the other oil that was in there in the crankcase. And uh, and so as a result, she didn't get very far before the transmitter started slipping. It was messing up and so forth. So she had to be towed. She took it back, a relatively new car, took it back to the dealership. And they said, well, Miss Rollins, here's the problem, man. This is what happened. Did you work on this? No, I took it to the Jiffy Lube. And he said, well, what they did was they drained your transmission and they poured four more quarts of oil in your crankcase. That's your problem here. And so they drained it out, they fixed it all, and I don't know what they charged her for it, but Pat went back there to get the money for it, and, and they said, well, they said, well, we're not going to do this for you because you went to the dealership. You should have brought it back here first, and we'd have fixed it. And, uh, and, and you know, she was telling me all this, and she said, you know, Brother Ed, had this happened just about two weeks ago, she said, I'd have been one. I'd want to reach out and touch somebody. <laughs> she was wanting to hurt them. And, uh, but she'd gotten saved, and she knew that wasn't the right way. And, uh, and her life had changed. And so uh, that, that's one of those victories. Can you go back to a victory that you had? Maybe, maybe you didn't lose your temper, or you were put in a spot, and, and, and man, you don't even, maybe you don't even know how you got through it, but you knew that the Lord had helped you with something. And I, I, I look at this here as they were walking by faith. They were being obedient. They did as they were commanded. And God responded in kind, and those walls came down. And they did. And, you know, I was reading today, I just happened to look. I, I, I'm not a fan of Wikipedia. You know, Wikipedia, anybody can put stuff on there, you know. And, uh, and I was surprised. Wikipedia had a whole thing about the city of Jericho. The Bible 
rendition of, of uh, you know, and they said, uh, most historians uh, agree that the book of Joshua is irrelevant. <laughs> and, and I looked at that and I said, well, man, you, you know, you, y'all are just dumb on purpose, you know. That's irrelevant. But you know that uh, archaeologists have actually found where the walls of Jericho were and they're down. And uh, because it was a real city and they really, they really collapsed, they really went down. They fell flat. And, uh, and so, and not that we, not that we had to have a, an archaeologist to confirm it, but they didn't used to believe that the Hittites ever existed either, and they found relics from them and identified that. So, uh, anyway, there's all kinds of evidence about things like that uh, in the world that take place. And so, this very first, this very first piece of ground, if you will, is, uh, is, is, has been taken, it's theirs, and, uh, and so now this conquering of the land... You've got these things, the sin of Achan. Remember, this is now the first, if you will, kind of like the, the first fruits, and they were to honor the Lord with that. They weren't to take anything. It much resembles the tithe that we observe today. They told uh, Joshua told him, man, don't take anything in that city. It's a curse. The Lord had told him that. Don't handle anything. I mean, not don't handle, but don't take those things. Bring all those treasures into the storehouse and so forth. And we know that Achan got down there. Man, you know, Achan means trouble. You got the valley of Achor and so forth. Those are all related to him. And he took that stuff. He took a wedge. Uh, a Babylonian garment and a wedge of silver, I believe, and so forth, and took those things and went back and hid them amongst his stuff. And, uh, man, the Lord called them out and said, get all these people out here, sanctify yourselves. He gave them a space to repent, and they didn't. And Achan and his family died, all of them. They died because of what he had done. And, uh, and so... Uh, it, it's just a it's just a picture of, if you will, a little bit of the of the flesh sticking its head back up, and uh, and you know, and we we carry around with us that old nature, beloved. But here's the thing, and you can't hide from him. You can't hide anything from God. You're his child now, and he knows everything about you. And you don't need to hide it. You need to take it to him. And uh, in that space to repent, they could have, I believe. But they took of that accursed thing, and and they died as a result. All right, and uh, this is where the Gibeonites come along in in chapter nine, and they 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 fake some things there, if you will, and uh, and the Gibeonites get involved in this, and you know, and and rather than also the you know the town of Ai, you have the sin of Achan, and you also have the town of Ai, and they said, man, let's don't bother everybody, Joshua. Let's just go there with two or 3,000 men. Joshua doesn't pray about some things, and they go over there, and they get whooped. God's not with them, and they lose about 36 men in this event. And then Joshua immediately falls on the ground. The Lord says, hey, get up, Joshua. In other words, the time to pray about this was previous to this. And so it's a picture of confidence in the flesh, those two chapters, 7 and 8. In doing things in the power and energy of the flesh. And the scripture teaches us we're to have no confidence in our flesh. If you sow to your flesh, you're going to of the flesh reap corruption, right? But if you sow to the spirit, you reap life. And, uh, and so, and then an interesting thing I see here in chapter 10 is that as they were taking the land, as they were conquering the land here, there are all these kings that come out. Look in chapter 10 with me. And uh, and notice what happens. Uh, 
these kings get together. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because of Gibeon, was a great city as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, said unto Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, and uh, Jarmuth, and unto Japhia, king of Lachish, and unto Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me, and help me, that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Because Joshua had been in a league, now they're going to have to fight these guys, these kings. And where I'm trying to get to is that they pursued them. The Lord said, you're going to have victory over them, pursue them, and so forth. And so all the kings, they flee to a cave. And, uh, and the battle was not over yet. And Joshua says, put a stone over this cave, over the mouth of the cave, and basically we're going to come back and deal with them. And this is where, this, this relates to the, the book, if you will, of 2 Corinthians. And I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's a New Testament principle that we find here in this, in this book. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. And... Uh, and stay with me here, and I appreciate you turning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, these were real kings. And, uh, and so they were in this cave, and there was a stone that was rolled over it so as to trap them. And so when the fighting was done, when they had conquered the rest of those armies, Joshua goes back to that cave and says, roll the stone away. And they bring out each one of those kings and he gets the princes of Israel to come up there and literally what they do is they have those men, they fall prostrate uh, on the ground and he stands, has those princes stand on the back of their necks. I mean, that is like utter conquest. And Joshua wants them to do that. Stand on the back of their necks, and then they are destroyed. Those kings, they're not allowed to live. Do you remember when it was, when, who was King Agag? Anybody remember who King Agag is? It's at a future time. King Saul is there. Samuel tells him, I want you to utterly destroy these Amalekites, because of what they had done all the way back in Egypt when they were coming out, destroyed them. And Agag is there. And, uh, and what did Saul say to Samuel when Samuel comes up to the battlefield? They'd been fighting. And he says, I've been obedient. I've, I, I've done what the Lord commanded. And he was supposed to kill all the sheep, all the oxen. He wasn't supposed to leave anything with breath in it. And Samuel says, well, then what's all these sheep I hear? What's all these oxen I hear? Oh, and he said, well, that was the people. They wanted me to do that. And then all of a sudden, here comes up, you know, here comes standing next to him. Oh, man, the fear of death is gone. 
here I am, here's King Agag. And he's like, what, 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 what is he doing? And, uh, and, and you know, and Agag, sure, surely death is, you know, is gone. And, you know, there's not much conversation, and Samuel just does him in. Something that Saul should have done, and he didn't. Joshua wanted them to stand on the necks. In other words, it's a picture there of some personal victory. Now, I've asked you to go to 2 Corinthians 10. I hadn't forgotten. Part of this is, is those kings were not going to be allowed to operate behind the lines. Brother, when, when you were in, you know, doing your tours, if you ran across, if you ran across a nest of Taliban or whatever... You would try to. Do you think? Would you just leave them hold up in a place and then try to move on? What What would those guys do, man? Wouldn't they just go out at night? They would. They, they would, you know, put IEDs back on the roads again. In other words, right, right, right back to what they were doing. You, you, you we apprehend them. You uh, tie them up. And you make sure they can't move. They can't move. Yeah, and you you probably weren't allowed to execute them. No. But because they became non-combatants at that time according to some lawyer. But if they got away, they're going to go back right out, just like how they did with the guys in Gitmo. They let them out. They went back to Afghanistan, some of them in other places, to do damage. But my, my point is here is that you don't want the enemy to be able to operate, you know, and those old things out of our life, you can't just say, well, I got them shut up in a room. That won't suffice because, you know, our past... What? It has long fingers on it. It's always right there with us. And uh, it's always wanting to reach out. And 2 Corinthians 10 speaks about this and even the warfare. Notice what he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I'm in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. And this is what was happening with, for, the, for the children of Israel. They weren't going to take down the walls of Jericho. They weren't going to win that battle with fleshly means. It had to be what? But they are mighty through God, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Jericho was a stronghold. Where those kings would be, they were, they were leaders, and they were going to be able, in other words, to put up a stronghold. And Joshua didn't want that to be. God didn't want that to be operating inside the territory. He wanted all those kings, all those old things out of our past to be dealt with. Not just shut up and ignored, hey, you don't know, to actually deal with them, to actually make a judgment about them. Because what are we talking about? We're talking about our sanctification. Our sanctification. And so notice what it says. For the weapons, look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is something that's already been built. A stronghold is something that's already there. And God wants us by faith, if you will, through the power of God, to pull down that stronghold. So don't leave, don't leave it there. You know, forts, if you go out west, there's a lot of forts that, are, that were out there. Do you know what those things became over time? They became prisons. That's what happened to a lot of them. They became prisons. 
And, uh, and so if they ever got out of there, if they escaped or whatever, so what did they do? Then they would go and operate, do their thing, create havoc and damage and kill people and so forth and the like. And so God, there in the land, He wanted that cave of kings, He wanted that done away with. That, that there be no trace of those things left in our lives. In other words, that all our enemies are to be conquered. And, uh, and we have some, and that's why, that's why in, in part of our growing, man, we're to be adding to our faith, we're to grow in our knowledge of God and so forth, and I'll have some things to say about that uh, toward here at the end, but, but, but what, what you have to see is that now, now casting down imaginations, verse 5, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing that into captivity... So in other words, when you're casting down, it's kind of like a wrestling term. Do you ever wrestle with your thoughts sometimes? Sure you do. And bring those things into captivity to do what? To the obedience of Christ. Not my will, but thy will be done when those thoughts plague us or come to us. It's a part of the ongoing battle that you and I are in every day of our lives and God wants us to have the victory as much as he wanted them to have the victory and couldn't allow these things to have a hiding place where they could hold up they had to be dealt with all right and so uh so we know that Joshua slays them and so forth so go back with me to the book of Joshua and uh, and we'll we'll get to the end here the it's going to be the colonizing of the land. Now, this covers some uh, 11 chapters, and I'm not going to go through every one of those things, but the land is divided, and uh, the cities of refuge are set up. There's three on the eastern side of Jordan and three on the western side to comprise those six cities that are there. And this was a place where the manslayer could go, where he could be free from being pursued. Manslaughter... Was in other words, if something happened, let's say you, let's say you were you were cleaning out a ditch or you were doing something and you threw a big stone and you didn't realize that your neighbor's kid was walking by there and you dropped that rock on him and he died. Well, the avenger would want to come. You know, they are eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? And they would want to come. And so these cities of refuge were set up so that the person who could run and flee to this city. And he could be safe. He would plead his cause to the priest that was there in that city. And as long as that priest was was alive, that man was safe from anybody taking revenge. And it's a picture for us today of our great high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for us. Meaning that, you know, as long as that priest was alive, that guy was safe. Well, is, is the Lord Jesus going to die anymore? No, he's alive evermore. And so now our, our if you will, our safety is assured that, uh, that, that the revenger of these things and so forth uh, is not going to fall back upon us, that our sins have been forgiven and so forth, uh, that both past, present, and future. And so he is our city of refuge. You know, it is a type of that in the Lord Jesus. And so, uh, so we find those that are mentioned here, all right? And, and, and so I, what I want you to go to, look, at, look in chapter 13 with me. And we'll, we'll get to the crux of the matter here. Chapter 13.
And again, this is a picture of us. It says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. And how that, how that speaks to my heart about us is there is yet work to be done in our lives. Even though they were in the land, there were things yet to be possessed. They hadn't done all that. And you'll find that even when they get to the book of Judges, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, you'll find that, man, they're making people pay tribute instead of actually cleaning out the land. And it's the beginning of their downfall. They're not being obedient and they're allowing things to stay in the land that are going to have a negative influence upon their lives rather than dealing with the problem. And so, um, and so here there are many things. And so this really is a picture of our sanctification. And so if they were, if they were going to move forward, there were some things that are going to have to take place. And, you know, one of those things was that they were going to have to have, they were going to have to learn more and more about the knowledge of God. And that's something that you and I, beloved, need to do in our walk as we progress and mature and make progress. It should be that our knowledge of God is increased and not decreased or grown stagnant, if you will. But that our relationship, the fruit of our relationship, as that intensifies, that as we get closer, we learn more about the ways that He thinks and the way that He does things. That's accompanied by or coupled with our study of the Bible. That we need, to be, we need to be greater students of the Word of God than what we are right now. You say, well, Brother Ed, I got, man, I, you know, I just got life facing me. I got kids and uh, housework or men. I got my job and I got these things and I bring my work home and I got all that. But, beloved, you must take time. You got to feed that new life on the inside. You got to. If you want to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, then you're going to have to learn to spend time with God. And even though, man, I appreciate you being here tonight and being so faithful on Sundays and so forth, those, those three hours, they're just not enough in a week with what we're facing today. They, they never have been three hours a week. I mean, you know where the Sunday night service came from. I, d- I did a little research on this. You know, when the electric light bulb came out, Brother Ray, I don't know that you were there, Brother Ray, when it came out. That's not what I'm saying, but that's when the Sunday night service, because a lot of buildings received the light bulbs when they came out, and one of those buildings was a church, and a lot of people came to Sunday night service so they could see the light bulb. And they would come to church. And... Uh, because, you know, people would take wagons and, you know, wagons and horseback and other things to come. A circuit preacher, many of them had, he was there for that service and went on to the next place. And so um, I'm just saying that those three hours is not enough. Just like having to feed on that old corn and, and get those things and gather it for yourself now and not just counting on the manna that hopefully comes when you when you come to the house of God and a meal is prepared for you that you can feed yourself so that you can sustain yourself. It's not to be independent of the assembly because we know that's not biblical. But it is to where you can be strong enough to sustain yourself during the week 
till you can come and be refreshed and, and with, by our fellowship and by the Word of God and so forth, by the Spirit of God in our collective worship. And so, so some things of the knowledge of God and our study of the Bible should be increasing. Our character should be developing. Their character as believers, as what they were going to be, as representatives of God, of Jehovah, that needed to be. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's, there's room for us in our character to grow. Wouldn't you say that there is? I mean, didn't Paul say, man, I, I haven't achieved, I haven't arrived, basically? And he said, man, what? He said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward, right? I press on towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He wanted them, that land that was yet to be possessed, He wants us to know how to possess our own vessel in sanctification. He wants us to know how to rule our own spirit, how to yield ourselves, how to trust Him more, how to help some of the pilgrim along the pathway. Part of our character, making others thirsty, being that channel of blessing that we sing about sometimes. Kind of like, Kind of like those men, brother, making that car. That that may seem like a simple thing, but man, that will be a wonderful thing for that little boy and for that family. That's a wonderful thing. And uh, and it it just, you know, a little time and a little skill to be a blessing. Kindness goes such a long way. And, And so our Christian character, that it could grow and develop, and then, and then lastly, if you will, that there's a world that is to be reached. And that was part of this. Part of this in their growing, in their possessing. And so, man, that our knowledge of God, our personal knowledge of God, that that would increase. Our own study of the Bible, our, our Bible knowledge that we could help some other pilgrim along the way. Our own character, that it might develop Christ-like character in us and then to be able to reach others that's all a part of this journey because ultimately what what was their what was their role supposed to be they were supposed to glorify god in the world that then was that people might see this little nation whose god is the lord and be drawn to that and find out hey what do we need to do how can he be our god too and uh and so I, I suspect probably in the Lord's mind there were probably a lot of other places like Nineveh who needed to get in. I understand. I understand. And, uh, and so him being the first thing. And so these things, these, th- this is part of them growing, all right? And you and I growing. Part of what we're supposed to do. But the book of Joshua, I hope you'll take the time to go through it. There's, there's a, there are the high points that I put there for you. And, uh, and so, any questions? Did you, have, did you have a question? Okay, Brother John. All right. So, uh, so all right, I, I want you to do this for me. I want you to pray for Brother Brent. Lord willing, he'll be teaching next Wednesday night. And so you pray for him. He always has something good for us. And so... Uh, you hold him up in prayer, and Lord willing, we'll, when he gets done, we'll, we'll jump back on the book of Judges. Man, it's such a, it's the antithesis of what this is. This is about 
victory and potential and blessing and judges is, well, it's just that. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. Didn't take them long, did it, brother, to get crosswise. All right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for these patient listeners, Lord. And I pray that we might uh, see, Lord, ourselves in these passages, Lord, as we uh, seek to grow in grace and to walk with you. And I pray, Father, that uh, you'll bless now our children next door and teachers and, uh, and these folks as they make their way home. We thank you for Jesus, Lord, and how you love us. And we ask it in his name. Amen.